Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome back to Psyche Magic. I'm so glad you're here and want to thank you for tuning in, whether you've been listening regularly or just checking the show out for the first time. As you may or may not know, before I became a therapist, I worked in the entertainment industry for several years. I was in charge of choosing and licensing songs for use in film and TV and was basically making Spotify playlists in my sleep for a while there. In the spirit of this, I've created a Psyche Magic playlist with some of my favorite songs that discuss dreams or inspire a dreamlike state. Feel free to check it out. I've included the link in show notes. I hope it can be a soothing balm for your subconscious. On this episode, I interview a fellow therapist, yoga instructor, and podcaster, Valerie Martin, owner and founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing here in Nashville. Valerie guided me to consider the ways in which dynamics of power and shame can permeate even alternative forms of spirituality, i.e. belief systems that are branded as being inclusive and empowering to those who may have felt othered or left out of more traditional religions and belief systems. On a recent episode of another favorite podcast, This Jungian Life, their guest T. Susan Chang describes her tarot practice and teaching as an exercise in surrender. She asserts that doubt and meaning are reciprocal, so that when we sit down for a tarot reading, we must surrender our doubt in order to receive the meaning. For her, meaning arises in the presence of doubt. This resonated for me, and I took note of it. So many of us are learning and relearning how to trust. But the foundation of this must always be trust in ourselves. My conversation with Valerie highlighted this additional layer. Because the doubt is important, it's protective. It shouldn't be surrendered automatically. It should be examined and honored. This is the dance of rooted and founded beliefs that feel true in every part of our experience versus beliefs that are untethered, pressured, and even forced upon us. The ones we have to choke down. These days, letting something feel true for me means I have checked in with every part of myself about it, and we are all in agreement. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Valerie Martin.
All right. Valerie Martin, welcome to Psyche Magic. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So Valerie, you are such a multifaceted dynamic human. You are a psychotherapist. You are the owner and founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing. You're a yoga instructor. You're a podcaster. So I know we're going to have a ton to talk about because there's lots of crossover of interests here. So yay. Yes, (laughs) definitely. I am a textbook Enneagram 7. That's for sure. Oh my God, I love that. (laughs) So Enneagram 7. So that is the enthusiast. Yes. Yes. Want to do all the things, have all the experiences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. Okay. So let's get into it, Valerie. So I've been experimenting with just pulling a tarot card just to kind of see what comes up, see what is being sure. presented to us in terms of kind of guiding our conversation. So if you're down, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. This is my trusty writer wake wait, okay. deck, which I'm a big fan of. Pamela Coleman Smith is just a treasure. <laughs> I just love her. Okay. Let's see what comes up here. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the one. Oh, all right, Valerie. What is it? <laughs> oh, we pulled the emperor. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Very interesting. So for the listeners, the emperor is one of the major arcana cards. It is a man seated at a throne. There are rams heads like adorning each side of the throne. He's wearing this very regal purple and red cloak. He's got his kind of knight armor on his feet. He's holding a golden orb and a scepter. And he is looking very sternly and seriously Mm. out into the distance. So very kind of like paternal, like patriarchal imagery, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What are your feelings about this card? So I guess what I'm making of that right now is we were talking just for a moment about a process I've been going through with kind of reckoning my spiritual interests and sort of like the things that I would like to believe Versus like, I'm a very science oriented person and committed to facts and the truth. (laughs) And on one hand, those can feel at times like a lot of tension and opposing. And yet I'm very aware that the perspective of science is mystery and magical. And so I'm trying to reclaim that. And I guess I sort of view this emperor energy as like, okay, let's include science in the conversation, but maybe the emperor doesn't get to be like all (laughs) deciding, like there's room for some high priestess energy and some other things too, but like we need the emperor in the conversation. I do. (laughs) I love this so much. Yes. Because it's really just about creating balance of perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I think we can all agree that emperor energy tends to kind of rule Mm -hmm. in our kind of mainstream society. Right. So yeah, just kind of holding that tension, I think is really, really important. And we'll see kind of how that comes up in the conversation. So, oh, wow. All right. I've got my eye on you, emperor. I'm like (laughs) glancing over at him now. Yeah. Keep watch on you. Well, and one more thing that I want to say about that, please, like you just said, emperor energy tends to rule in the mainstream, which it does in our culture. And yet in the sort of quote unquote, spiritual realm, wellness kind of space, 
the emperor doesn't, which is good. However, yes. I think sometimes there is almost an overcorrection where there is no room for emperor. There is no room for empiricism and things like that. And like, can we not have like, we can keep the emperor at the party. He doesn't have to be in the throne, but he can still be invited yes. to the party. We don't have to get into the the black and white, the dichotomous yeah. place with it. In fact, we shouldn't. That would be missing the point. Right. So with that, like just holding that, I would love to just invite a little bit of conversation about kind of your dream life yeah. and what's been going on, whether there's something current or whether there's more of kind of like a historical pattern that comes up for you. It's just, you know, a fun place to start. So yeah, well, I'm about to make it really not fun. <laughs> Spoiler. Okay. Okay. No. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. It's not always right fun. at all. Right. Yeah. No. So I kind of go in phases, which is again, sort of representative of my whole spiritual journey where I'm like, okay. you know, writing down my dreams and like really trying to remember them and like journaling them. And then phases where I'm just not doing that at all for a year. So I haven't been writing them that. down. So I do know that I lose a lot of even like the fun dreams. But unfortunately, the thing that's been sort of a theme for me over years, and sometimes it might happen once a month, sometimes maybe less than that, but I have dreams about the nuclear apocalypse. And I'm just Ooh. like, you know, we didn't grow up in sort of the cold war hiding under our desks. I mean, yeah, we've got other fears that are sort of archetypally ingrained, but I'm just like, where did this come from and why? And it is so unpleasant when it happens. Wow. Yeah. Okay. The nuclear apocalypse. Yeah, like it's happening. There's been a bomb. I am living through it. I am like trying to say goodbye to everyone I love because it's like the end <sighs> end. So that's the dream in different iterations. <laughs> and archetypally where I go with that image is the kind of archetypal like rapture yeah. image. This is the end. And what does the end mean right. for me? And is there actually an end. Yeah. And so that's kind of where my mind starts like opening mm -hmm. up into is that place. And so as I say that, are there like associations there for you? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess I think about the collective mm -hmm. death life cycle and all, because it's not just mm -hmm. my death that's happening, right? It's like exactly. everyone. And so it's not necessarily just quote unquote death anxiety. Yes. I worry about things like the climate, but I'll be honest, it's not on my mind a lot, at least consciously. Yeah. yeah. I kind of am able to, for better or worse, push that into its little compartment, which I guess kind of makes sense in terms of sometimes the things that we put in their nice little compartments in our day-to-day -day life come and visit us at night. So I wonder if there's kind of Absolutely. a connection to... Yes. Not that we couldn't go down in a fiery nuclear apocalypse, but sort of the collective fear of what does our existence look like moving forward and just acknowledging the reality of that is what's coming up for me. Wow. Yeah. Because like you said, in order to just kind of get mm -hmm. through the day to day, we have to kind of put that mm -hmm. in its box. But then the subconscious wants us to remember that, no, this is really important. This has to stay yeah. on our minds. And, and the fact that it's coming up in this very dramatic, intense image, I've noticed through these conversations that it's interesting the way that our dreams and our subconscious right. kind of dial right. up the intensity of like mm -hmm. a certain symbol. I can't really think of a more intense yeah symbol for that than a actual yeah. nuclear apocalypse. 
I would imagine that those dreams, that sort of like the emotional content of those dreams is like extremely distressing, of course, but I'm curious if there's nuance there and what kind of happens for you, like emotionally. What I can sort of bring up now is anyone who's had either like a near death experience or like Mm. a moment that they've really kind of thought in that split second of like a car accident or something of like, this could be it. It does kind of feel like that. You just sort of go Mm. back to like, just wanting to say, I love you. I love you. I love you to make sure that the people that, you know, know that, Hey, if we're, if we're all about to go out, like, I just want to hold your hand through. (laughs) Yeah. And then Valerie, like when I hear you say that, then it opens up this other element of this dream, which is about not taking what I have for granted, Mm -hmm. like not taking the people around me for granted and remembering to express those feelings. I mean, I don't know about you, but in my work, I've had a lot of clients who are dealing with grief, talk about their desire to express their love and appreciation for their loved ones more readily, more vulnerably, more openly, more often. Right. That's where my mind is going now, just hearing you talk about that. Yeah. And it it is challenging, I think, when we sort of bring up when that sort of existential anxiety traverses into maybe a pathological, like, oh God, like I gotta, I gotta tell everyone I love them like every day. Cause like, what if? And And it's so challenging because it's like on one hand, yeah, literally any day could be your last, could be the last for any single person that you love and holding that without sort of approaching every day with, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, you know, like that energy. It's just, yeah, it's sort of the essence of being alive and having the consciousness that we do is just how do we hold that and take it seriously, but not so seriously that it dominates our day to day. Exactly. That's interesting because already in this conversation, what's coming up a lot is that kind of tension between like polarities, Mm -hmm. tension of opposites and being able to hold all of these things. I know as therapists, we're always like, hold hold (laughs) all the truths at once. And it sounds a little silly, but at the same time, it's just so salient for all of us that that is just one of our key kind of never ending tasks Mm -hmm. as humans. Absolutely. How do we learn how to do this? Yeah. Maybe with enough nuclear apocalypse strains, I'll figure it out. <laughs> posted, you know? I know. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. That. Yeah. Sorry to be a downer. Not but at all. Yeah. I, I do think we got to some interesting points in there. It's just interesting to see. Also, it's interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. Like, it's interesting to see how that symbol might start to kind of shift and turn and. But yeah, it's just interesting to see kind of how that symbol might start to unfold. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. And I mean, the thing that this is such a basic observation about dreams, but it just, it always is so compelling to me how obviously that's not a quote real experience while, cause I wake up and there's everything is how it was when I went to bed, but during the moments that the dream is happening, it's a real lived experience. And so that's why, you know, with people who have nightmares, especially if they have nightmares related to content that does happen in their daily life, it's so hard because during those moments, it is real. And that is, it just blows my mind. (laughs) And my system is experiencing it as if it were real. Like it's having all of those. Yep. All of the sympathetic hyper arousal (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I get to wake up and be like, oh, cool. I don't feel very rested now. 
Yeah, exactly. Like I need a restful sleep after that, that Uh crazy journey I just went on. Yeah, I know. And I'm curious, Valerie, I mean, this is kind of like guiding us a little bit more into like Mm -hmm. a professional conversation Mm -hmm. about these topics, but I am curious about whether or not you use this intervention because it sounds like you were alluding to more sort of PTSD related like nightmares. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious because I've done some research about, so there is, there are a couple techniques that I'm going to bring up. One is Gendlin's research about focusing. Mm -hmm. And so the Mm -hmm. crux of that is that in a dream, you are looking for the life force or the help And so in that kind of sense, there's like a, basically a dream gives you an opportunity to have a fully formed, like felt sense experience. And so in therapy terms, we use the term felt sense as a way to make sense of my entire scope of experience that I'm having as a human and put me in touch with all aspects of my experience. And so in focusing dream technique, it's about kind of tuning in to that felt sense and understanding like what my body needs in a moment like Mm -hmm. that. And so there's also an element of treating PTSD nightmares by basically in a safe context, such as a therapy room, having somebody go into a dream like that within the felt sense, creating that next move or what they would like to happen, Mm -hmm. like sort of like Mm -hmm. restoring, like the narrative of that dream. And there's research that if someone is able to have that felt sense experience in a safe context, that dream might actually start to shift and change because of that kind of conscious focusing work that they've done using their felt sense. And so I'm, I'm curious if you have learned about that, if you've ever used that, like, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. I haven't learned specifically about that technique, but sometimes encourage people to, when they wake up, to either envision or write out, if that dream were to continue, how would you want to write the ending? So yeah, I think that there's a lot of empowerment in that. And It's so Mm -hmm. tricky because I'm sure there are different perspectives on, you know, some people will take medication so that they don't have nightmares, or at least maybe that they're not conscious of the nightmares. I don't know brain scan wise if they're having them or not, but, and I would never tell someone they were wrong for doing that because I know it can be incredibly upsetting. And yet I think some people would also say that if you're still having the nightmare, there's something that your psyche is still trying to work out. So how can we sort of like aid it along by doing this imaginal work? I know what you mean. Continue to push the narrative forward and hopefully at some point Mm -hmm. change the trajectory of the dream without just like shutting it down entirely. Yeah. Such a good point. Well, because I, I mean, my own sort of personal and professional bias is that our Mm -hmm. dreams do have meaning and messages and and they are reflecting a internal emotional process that needs Mm -hmm. to move forward and, and unfold. And so my understanding is that those types of nightmares indicate like a stuckness in that process that needs to be kind Mm -hmm. of dislodged. As you talk about that, I, I agree. And I think that Mm -hmm. it can be helpful not to say that medication is not, and not that it can't be a, like you said, a way to just get some, get some rest. Like even in that example that we were saying, it's like, sometimes I also just need to sleep so that I will be okay and functional. Like, right. There are, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, like there are levels of, of needs here that also just met. Yeah. 
Exactly. Like I, I, a spirit, I will listen to you later, but I need a good seven hours of sleep first. (laughs) I also need to be able to function. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I think about in terms of when clients bring sort of dreams to me that Mm -hmm. they're like frustrated about, or, you know, like dreamed about my ex again, you know, I kind of point to that sort of intra-psychic. What if it's not really about your ex and more like what that sort of character, that person in that dream sort of represents within you. So I love the intra-psychic perspective, but I also really like, I don't know if you've encountered Stephen Azenstadt's dream tending. I'll write it down. I can send you an article on it, but it's really fascinating because he's sort of like, well, what if it's not all about us? Shocking. (laughs) Imagine Um, that. What if like, right. What if like some of these beings, characters, mountains, whatever that visit us in our dreams are sort of like, this is the collective unconscious. This being wants to communicate a message to you. And what if it's not just this being as a facet of yourself, but it's some other, you know, element of our collective interbeing. And that does, you know, it starts to reach the bounds of my sort of skepticism. However, mm-hmm. I do sometimes criticize sort of Western psychology as being very self-involved. And I really like this notion of, what if the dream maker is sending me some kind of message that might be about my interbeing and not just my small self? Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm like overwhelmed because there's so much I want to say. Yeah. So first of all, I love the way that you said like the dream maker, like that, mm-hmm. I don't know, that was just beautiful. And then there's that tension of opposites again, like the sort of collectivistic versus the individualistic. Yeah. Being able to move within those realms a little bit more and not necessarily have to subscribe so much to like one or the other, right? but be able to kind of parse out like the nuance of when each of those facets are useful. Mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it sounds like you use dreams with clients, like you kind of welcome that and that that's a part of your practice, but is that true? I would say at some points more than others, probably reflective of how much I'm immersed in that and paying attention to it for myself. But I think like, and I'm so glad to be having this conversation because as I was saying, I think that a part of my process is I've sort of backed away and I've become like, full emperor for a while. And I'm recognizing that, uh, okay. I think there's a place for the emperor, but I also am more than that. And I view things as more complex than that. And so this really does feel like a a sort of like invitation for me to delve back into that both personally, and just to be noticing those opportunities that might come up in my work with people to invite them into that world too. Makes perfect sense. As you were talking about that, I was just thinking about how I think it's the first six cards in the series of Mm. the Major Arcana are all about kind of the opposites and the duality. So it's like the magician and the high priestess. And then the opposite card for the emperor is the empress card. And so when I think about just what I know about your work and what I know about how important that sort of embodied healing Mm. is to the work that you do, that is such like empress energy to me. Like that really ties into that. But I I wonder if that resonates for you. Yeah, it does. I think I've probably always naturally leaned toward the emperor, sort of like very pragmatic and intellectualistic and all of that. There's power there. 
right? There is, right. There is undoubtedly. And yet like part of why I've sort of made that more embodied Mm -hmm. energy. So core to my work is like, I know that's ultimately what works both for me and for just any of us humans that live in these, in these animal bodies. Yeah. But it's almost like I go kicking and screaming. I'm just like, no, like, let's stay in the thought world. Let's just talk. And and then my wiser self is like, "Mm, is that really what we need to do though? (laughs) Sort of like we teach what we most need and it doesn't, it's not necessarily my default setting. So I want to, I guess, really highlight that for anyone who relates to that and feels like they really live in their heads and that it doesn't mean that embodiment work is not for you or that all of this is not for you. It's just that you actually might need it even more than the quote unquote average person. And and it's just going to have to be intentional, not just once, but forever. Yes. I completely, completely resonate with that. I too am someone who's just found a lot of like comfort and safety in that sort of intellectual, like default setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the fact that you point out that if that doesn't come as naturally to you to lean more into kind of the embodiment work, that that is something that your system probably needs for the sake of that balance that we've been talking about. But I do like not only myself, but also with my clients, I know that there is that impulse towards, well, it's that kind of perfectionistic tendency that so many of us have, which is just like, well, if I'm not automatically good at this, then what's the point? I don't know if I can develop this. I don't know if I can, this feels awkward to me. Exactly. Like, I don't know if I'm meant to be able to do this. Like, what if this isn't accessible to me? Mm -hmm. The image that just came up to me too, is sort of like that idea of weaving Mm -hmm. together in a sort of a tapestry Mm -hmm. or whatever, because even with something like, you know, sort of the intellectual and the embodied, like, yes, they could be seen as these sort of like tension between opposites. And we also know that we really do need both. So it's not that we need to be like, oh, I'm so intellectual. Like what's wrong with me? Why can't I be more sort of spiritual or more whatever? We need both. We just need to weave Mm -hmm. them together. I love that. Mm -hmm. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Let's talk about the emperor and the empress in tarot. I'll refrain from describing the emperor since we described him earlier in the interview when Valerie and I pulled the card. But I will say... I love this idea of the emperor representing a society which is, quote, civilized to death. The title of a recent book by Christopher Ryan that I really enjoyed. I've noticed that my dreams tend to hint at the moments where I'm stuck in too much emperor energy because they often shift to classic themes of what I call anxiety dreams being at school and not being able to find my schedule, needing to call someone and not being able to find their number, frustration and stagnation mounting, time slipping away. Looking at these dreams symbolically, they illuminate the myriad ways I've gotten buried in the details, relying too much on the logical and practical, missing the forest for the trees. This is a process by which 
consciously or unconsciously, we avoid the deeper issues underlying our symptoms, exemplified in terms of daily frustration and annoyance, the larger meaning and lessons that get lost and distracted from. One of my favorite writers and tarot readers, Jessica Dore, describes the Empress and Emperor as a pair of cards that highlight the duality of nature versus civilization, respectively. In Pamela Coleman Smith's drawing, the Empress is lounging full-figured in flowing robes on a plush cushion surrounded by rivers and a verdant, fertile landscape. She is aliveness. She is embodiment. The way that nature provides and cycles without having to do anything, earn anything, or prove anything. Our bodies are always communicating, attempting to put us back in touch with the rhythms of nature. Donna Eden writes, quote, Becoming civilized is to a large extent, learning not to do what your body wants to do, unquote. Many of us have time-worn strategies around systematically abandoning our bodies and numbing out when we are overwhelmed. Coming home to the body slowly and over time and relearning how to find safety there is a core tenant of trauma therapies such as somatic experiencing. The Empress guides and encourages this homecoming. Be sure to stay tuned at the end of the episode for a guided meditation for embodiment. Now, back to my interview with Valerie. Now, here's something else I'm curious about, Valerie. So I, as you can tell, I love tarot, right? Like <laughs> it has been so just enriching to me personally to dive into these cards and just kind of the season, the symbols, and it's been a very powerful practice for me. I am curious about integrating it more into my work with clients mm. as a therapist. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I have kind of tiptoed around that kind of emperor energy tells me that maybe that's not cool or maybe maybe that's not okay or kosher. Yeah. And I'm curious if that's something that you have dabbled with at all, or even that you're interested in. I have. Yeah. And I think like one sort of foundational piece of it is like, the whole problem with managed care and just that if you were seeing someone under their blue cross insurance and the blue cross case management provider knew that you were doing tarot in the session, they might be like, uh, no way. Mm -mm." But of course, like even in that case, it's not like you have to write, we did a tarot pull. It's a tool. And, and I don't think that it's mutually exclusive with quote evidence-based things. I mean, the Mm -hmm. Rorschach, I view them very similarly to a Rorschach kind of thing. It's because it's like, to me, cards are paper and ink. They're not magical. They're not paranormal or supernatural, but they do sort of represent these, you know, archetypes or whatever comes up for you. So it's like, if I'm seeing this image, what's arising for me, or if I'm hearing in what a client is sharing, Ooh, that is some very 
eight of swords energy, mm. then I might pull the eight of swords card and be like, let me tell you a little bit about this card. Like, does this resonate? But I would only do that in the case where like, I already knew that the client was open to that sort of idea. And then I've, I've some clients who I know are very open to it. And if we happen to have some extra time at the end of a session, I might just be like, do you want to do a little of reading and just see what comes up? So it's been a little while since I've done that more explicitly. But again, as we're talking about it, I think for people who do resonate with that, it can feel really valuable. And I think it also I can be a person who helps to frame a narrative around the cards and what they mean. That's probably oh, yeah. different from what they're hearing in even quote mainstream spirituality, new age world, because I do really take issue with a lot of the messaging that's out there. And I think it can be really harmful around like, oh, mm -hmm. well, because this reading told me this or because this card told me this. And yeah, I think there's a times where it can be really disempowering and that's frustrating to me. Yes. So reclaiming and offering a different sort of framework around how to interpret or relate with the cards. I have a question for you in a minute around how you do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you're making me think about just using something like a tarot card, like an image as an exercise in self-trust, yeah. like honoring what's coming up for me as I'm engaging with this. And the way that we engage with image artwork is embodied. Right. It brings an embodied response mm -hmm. in us if we're open to that. And so it can be such a natural gateway to like right. that type of feeling, that type of interaction that people don't, they don't always get the chance to have those types of experiences right? in our more sort of modern the world. potential for harm there though. Well, if I'm having this embodied response because this particular card showed up in a reading in the future spot, then, you know, I'm reacting more to what I'm being told this thing is that's quote going to happen or whatever, rather than just being yes. like, here's an image. What does it evoke for you? So my question really is like what I've struggled with the most mm -hmm. around cards is traditional readings in the sense of this card is in this place. Like even last night, I challenged myself to give myself a little Celtic cross reading. And the whole time though, I'm just like, okay, I could look at this card and have this particular thought, but the fact that it's in past or goals or external influences that it's in this spot, that seems very arbitrary to me. And so it's hard for me to like, I agree, really get past my skeptical mind when it comes to those sorts of readings. Like I enjoy the cards in and of themselves, but I really struggle with that. And I don't know if they're, mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear how you sort of uh, grappled with that. I completely agree. I don't tend to use the cards in terms of like specific readings where one card mm -hmm. is in a specific spot to answer a specific yeah. question. Okay. So much of that for me feels like kind of just runoff from a little bit of the history of the cards having more of like a fortune telling bent, right? right? Yeah. And so for me, I don't use them that way at all. And I will say that the best readings that I have had for tarot were just completely 
kind of free form, like literally just Mm. series of cards and just sitting with them. Yeah. It's not trying to assign like any specific meaning. Mm. And it also is non-hierarchical because the second I am the reader and I am putting the cards out for you and telling you that this is this and this means like now we're in a position where I have more power and that doesn't feel right to me. Mm -hmm. So instead I'm just laying out some cards and we're both just experiencing them together and just noticing what we see, seeing what comes up. And, and I find that to be so much richer and so much, frankly, just less problematic, honestly. It's just right. Yeah. And I would agree. And some of this is my own stuff, of course, but like, I do feel like there's sort of this like, oh, well, if you're a really Mm-hmm. a strong spiritual practitioner or like a very in tune with the energies of the universe. And then you'll be open to what this reading says or this, like, just trust. Like, why do you have to be so skeptical about it? Just trust. And it's like, because of that, like, I don't ever, maybe I'll change my mind on this at some point in the future, or do you do the kind of reading you described with someone But I'm like, I have no desire to ever have someone do a reading for me because they're going to be putting those cards in those particular spots, which already has lost its meaning for me. I know what you mean. And when you walk me through your thought process about how that feels, my like ex-fundamentalist red flags start going (laughs) off like crazy. And so even just hearing you describe that, I got a little more in touch with like my experience of those moments and why that just does not work for me. Like someone telling me to just trust and how to feel is these days, that's never going to feel okay. To me, that's never going to feel safe. Yeah. So I just really want people to who are within sort of like the spiritual new age, metaphysical, like whatever you want to call all of this kind of stuff that might be quote alternative or holistic, (laughs) even if you're open to things, that's awesome. And it's exciting and it's fun to play with and it's fun to make your own meaning. I just caution people to not try to make yourself believe something that you don't in service of being a quote, more spiritual person, because that's where I lost my own compass Mm -hmm. because I just kept feeling like, if I do it right, if I do it enough times, if I open my mind, like then I'll get there. And I was trying to force myself and it didn't feel good. Like such wise words, Valerie, because, you know, just because these things are alternative doesn't mean that we can't like fall into these same kind of traps of really of just dynamics of power. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just power over here is telling you follow this book and power over here is like, trust this sort of message, even if it doesn't feel resonant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So now I feel like this conversation has been kind of like a zooming out a little bit. Like we yeah. started like kind of really like, okay, we're going to focus on dreams. And then now it's becoming this a little bit more of a broad yeah. conversation. So in service of that, I would love to just offer a question to you about just your work in general and just what you're excited about in terms of your work right now and what keeps you like engaged as a therapist. Like what's like, what's like working yeah. for you? I just, I would love to know. Mm. Yeah. I think the biggest theme is curiosity. As you know, when we're studying human psychology and behavior, and if you want to throw in spirituality Mm -hmm. into that mix, there's infinite amounts to learn and experience, which sometimes can feel super overwhelming, especially being someone who, when I encounter 
new ideas that my curiosity, it's like, Oh, now I want to do a course in this. Now I want to, you know, know, read 10 books about this. And it's like, okay, slow the roll. It's, you don't have to be an expert in everything. So I do have to really kind of watch that. I mean, I love following my curiosity, but sometimes it can sort of start to take on an energy of lack of like, Oh, I don't know enough about this or this Mm -hmm. or this. And I have to know everything. So with that, my intention is to go deeper right now into I'm studying sex therapy and have been doing that since the spring. And, you know, I feel like there's so much within our relationship to our bodies and our sexuality. We don't have to obviously get into all of the like messed up sort of messages that our culture has around that, how it intersects with fundamentalism and things like that. But there's so much there and being able to support people in navigating through that. I feel like it's kind of like with food where, you know, how we do food is how we do life or like the issues that show up with food kind of point to like our deeper issues. I feel like the same is often true with sexuality. And so I'm just really excited about digging deeper into that and trying to rein in my little excitement antenna so that I can really do service to that work. I would love it if you could explain a little bit more about that. So it's kind of like the issues that come up with these really base needs like food and sex mm. and the way that that kind of mirrors, you know, the issues that are coming up across, like, tell, tell us more about what you mean by that. I think that's fascinating. Well, you know, I mentioned even just that word of lack. Yes. Yes. And I think more spectrum than just this, but I think from like lack to quote unquote abundance, I put that in quotes because I think it's, it's a term that I get irritated with in the spiritual realm. Oh yes. But enoughness, maybe enoughness. I love that. And one of my former coworkers, she would talk about like, I think she said, you're wearing life like a tight pair of pantyhose, or maybe today I would say like a pair of Spanx. And so sometimes when we live in this sort of rigidity, whether it's rigidity around our food, and I'm going to track everything on my fitness pal, and I'm going to do this. And then we just want to be like, fuck everything. And now I'm going to go and I'm going to eat like an entire pizza or whatever. And then I'm going to shame myself and the whole cycle repeats. So it's sort of like rigidity. And then our need to sort of like exhale can sort of show up in quote unquote acting out or whatever, overdoing under control. And really it's just like our need to allow Mm -hmm. because it's like those binges or whatever moments where we feel we've lost control are often a response to over control and over rigidity and restriction. So I think that even with sex, like we might not see it in like, it all happens in the same day, like it can with food, but it's, there's so much repression, especially of female sexuality. And so then people talk about like, oh, these women out here on polls that think they're reclaiming their sexuality or like sex workers who think that they're sexually empowered, like they're really not. And I think it's, no one's place to decide except for the person who's in that experience. Because I do know from both personal experience and from talking with many people that sometimes we do tend to overdo with sex, just like we may with food or anything else as a reaction to having felt either restricted, repressed, 
And so that does happen. However, I think it's also very possible to be a very sexual person and really enjoy that without it being a reactionary thing, just like it's possible to really enjoy food and without it having to be a reactionary thing. So Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm a little bit all over the place, but I just think that paying attention to how we relate, like if we look at those things as a relationship, relationship with body, relationship with food, relationship with sexuality, what does that relationship look like now? How is that being informed by maybe how the relationship has looked in the past Mm. when it was really based in more of like what I was hand, my cultural prescription or my family prescription of how I was supposed to be in relationship with that. So there's just so much richness in that, that if we're just looking at those base behaviors and even avoidance, a lot of times people end up in sex therapy or couples therapy because they've gotten into cycles of avoidance and then they feel broken and wonder like, Oh my God, I used to enjoy sex. Like now I don't. And what's wrong with me is this because my relationship is not right. And so often it's just that cycle of avoidance sort of feeds itself and creates this additional aversion. So if we can just learn to sort of break that cycle, Mm -hmm. which can be done, you know, yeah, there may need to be steps, sensate focus or something like slow, as Emily Nagoski would say, slowly putting our bodies closer and closer together. Sure. And we need to take a process. not as just as easy as like, well, just rip the bandaid off and have sex. And that would be like a exposure therapy. We don't want to flood ourselves and have have a negative experience. Mm -hmm. So we want to start small but really getting out of the cycle of avoidance in most cases possible and really life affirming to be able to get back into that. Yes. You've just said so many important things. And I love the way that you are framing some of these needs as sort of internal relationships and like those Mm -hmm. internal relationships needing balance in order to feel sustainable, just like any yeah. Just like any relationship does. Right. Yeah. That if we overwater it, it's not going to do well. If we deprive it of water, it's not going to do well. So like, how do I find that place where I'm giving the attention that's needed, but I'm not smothering it with too much water? Mm-hmm. I hope that those listening to this episode can hear that these are two therapists who are two just very whole humans who are learning all the time and trying to hash these things out for ourselves and for our clients. And that it's just always unfolding. I talk with clients a lot about that kind of, I guess we could call it kind of an emperor leftover kind of patriarchal view of Mm -hmm. like therapy and sort of being in this like Mm -hmm. expert seat. Like I'm this like super evolved human and you are this like lowly person who I'm (laughs) to explain all of your neuroses, your issues. Yes. And so I, something that I'm learning from you, Valerie, that I really appreciate is more of that sort of whole human approach to therapy and being able to be open and be real about that with our clients and how healing that can be. So my hope and sort of my intention for this conversation, I feel like is that could come through. So I I know I'm just kind of talking at you. I don't don't know if you have. Yeah, no, no, that makes so much sense. It reminds me of a meme that I encountered recently. Love a meme. (laughs) And I don't know what qualifies as a meme, but anyway, this person (laughs) shared a tweet that they're like, my therapist just referred to her therapist as my grand therapist. And I am processing (laughs) this. Oh my God. Like, yeah, that we're never, we're never done. And I don't think that means because 
there's this sort of machine of wellness that's like, mm. you need to have a therapist and an acupuncturist and a past life regression person and a this and that. And Ooh. like, you need to have all this whole team, like all the time for the rest of your life, because you're just like, we're all so like wounded and that we need this whole team of helpers. So I don't believe that, but I do believe that we all are going to ebb and flow with what our needs for support look like. And so like, I don't do therapy all the time forever, but there are moments where I'm like, "Mm, yeah, I think it's time for a little more right now. (laughs) Me too. Just knowing that that's ongoing process, because like you said, it's, it's always unfolding. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I'm grateful for these types of conversations because it helps me kind of stay in what I feel like should be my lane, which is the lane of like, I'm always learning. I'm always growing along with my clients. Like I have the, the full tarot card just like sitting on my desk in my office. I mean, the fool is so much about just returning over and over to that kind of like beginner's mind perspective. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're approaching the end of time, Valerie, but I would love it if you could just tell our listeners kind of where they can find you and engage with your work if they want to follow along. Sure. I sort of have like a little home base at Valerie K, just the letter K, martin.com slash now. And there you can find my links for like recent podcast episodes for the Gaia Center, for whatever I'm up to will be at that page. That link is also in my Instagram bio at Val K Martin, where K is spelled out K-A-Y. Love that. I'm writing that down as well so that I can follow along and engage. Yes. Like we said, you're a seven, you're a mover and a shaker. You've got a lot going on. So I love that you've got the now. It's like, okay, just whatever's going on right now, you can just tune in. (laughs) Exactly. Awesome. I feel like I got a lot out of this conversation. I really appreciate you just bringing your wholeness, your perspective. It's so beautiful and powerful. And it really meant a lot to me. So thank you. And I know that the listeners are going to love it too. So thanks. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm loving your podcast. I can't wait to just, yeah, stay tuned to all the episodes. I'm squealing with delight hearing Valerie say that. Like that really means a lot to (laughs) me. Thank you so, so, so much. Awesome. Thanks for being here. This is a guided meditation to practice embodiment. Find a comfortable position where your back is straight, feet grounded on the floor. Your eyes can be open or closed, whatever you prefer. Next, move your awareness systematically from the top of the head, moving down through the body and just slowly, gently noticing any areas of tension, numbness, vitality, warm or cold,
As you go through the scan, you may notice a feeling. There may be sadness, anger, joy. In some areas, you'll likely notice nothing at all. Once your awareness has moved down through the feet, just placing one hand on the heart, the other on the solar plexus, using this gesture to really take note of the quality of the breath. Noticing whether it's smooth or jagged, long or slow. Noticing where you feel the breath enter the body. Breathing into the belly. With each breath, Think of your feet, legs, growing roots into the floor and down into the earth. The trunk of the body growing rooted, heavy, and still. Noticing what shifts as you create this type of awareness. As I become rooted and grounded, what changes? Bringing the attention back to the breath. As the body continues to relax into this time, you may notice the exhale naturally start to lengthen. A sign that the parasympathetic nervous system is active and that you're feeling more safe and calm. Also noticing when the mind gets distracted, as it will. 
And in those moments, without judgment or additional storyline, just note thinking. And then come right back to the breath. From this place, we can tap into a sense of gratitude and appreciation. Perhaps offering an affirmation like, I am grateful for my life and well-being. Or even just a simple thank you to the body. If you have a hard time here, think of something or someone who you love and let that sense of warmth gently lift the corners of your mouth and your eyes. Let gratitude bring that lift of an inner smile and just sit with that for a moment. Finally, you can allow an intention to arise. Maybe an intention for this moment or this day, this season. An intention I love to use is may I be filled with loving kindness for self and others. Or simply, I am enough. Choose whatever feels right for you. Take your time. While inwardly repeating or speaking your intention, start to bring in some gentle movement that feels good in this moment. You might rub your fingers or hands together. You might rotate and stretch the muscles of the neck or the shoulders. You might start to stretch gently. Just bringing your awareness back into the room. And when you're ready, just take one more nice deep breath. Gently open your eyes if they were closed. And notice how you feel. 
This is a little tool for remembering and working with your dreams to be used affirmation style before bed. You can choose to write these next three statements in a dream journal, speak them out loud as a kind of invitation or incantation, or simply repeat them silently to yourself. I invite the wisdom of my dreams to drop into my consciousness in the morning. I remember my dreams easily. I invite wisdom and guidance from my dreams. Taking a page from Ray's book, if there is a certain question you have at this time, you can ask that now. Be sure to take a few extra minutes before you get up in the morning to listen quietly and record any messages you receive in your dreams. Remember, Answers are not always straightforward. They may present more questions and food for thought. Practice trusting this process and see what unfolds. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to my guest, Valerie Martin. Your sharp wit and wisdom are an inspiration and a delight. I'm so glad to know you. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. That's psychemagic with a C podcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at Psyche underscore magic. Psyche magic was produced and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Misuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Daniel Higby and Grace Fuse. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, www.psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and feel free to leave us a review if you're so inclined. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, Are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time.